Hello and welcome back to another episode of Horribly Happy. I'm your host, Jenna. And I'm your host, Sophie. We're back at it again. Just us this week. Yes. Uh, thank you again to Jordan Bolger, who was our guest co-host last week. We had a lot of great reviews uh, having him on. So if you guys, you know, want to have him back or, you know, want another guest on, let us know and we'll see what we can do. Yeah. Jordan, you did great. We'd love to have you. Hopefully you listened to the episode last week. He was nervous to hear his voice, so not sure if he did, but um, I thought he did a great job. Yeah, he killed it. It was like he was a natural. Natural, for sure. Um, We'll have him again in 50 episodes, maybe. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Get us to 100 peeps, and then you'll hear him again. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So um I finally moved. Finally. Well, actually it was a pretty fast closing. So I can't even really say finally, but it feels like these last few weeks have just been so crazy that it feels like it's been months. Yeah. Since I, I announced I got a house. And the anticipation just like builds up. Like you're just so excited. Yeah. yeah. So I moved on Friday. I took the day off. Um I hired movers, which I've done in the past and, you know, they got the job done. They were nice (laughs) enough, but they, I, they were the putziest movers and the whiniest movers I have ever had. I think I've hired, I think this was my fourth time hiring movers now. And it's always been a different company because I just pick one when I rent a U-Haul. So I just kind of like read the reviews and pick like a middle of the line and never right. remember their names. Cause their names are always like movers are us. We love to move, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Two guys. But when I tell time. you, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They just were like, one of them was especially whiny. And I was like, dude, I'm paying you to do this. This is your job. Like, you don't have to be a mover. It was, it was, it it got to the point, like, I was texting you really annoyed. And then it got to the point where it was like comical. Like, I was like, this could be like an episode on TV or something. Yeah. And you said you always do like middle of the line, like not the cheapest, not the most expensive. When I moved, I picked the cheapest people possible. They came with four people and they they did. Yeah. They came with four people. They were unbelievably fast. They were like Uh. literally sprinting with my furniture and boxes. (laughs) I was like, I'm not worried. They're going to break something, but like complete opposite of your experience. And Jenna was actually with me the day last time I moved into my apartment that I was living in before. And I wouldn't say that you were sprinting, but you, you were like, they were so efficient. Cause that's what convinced you to hire movers. Cause mm-hmm. you had never hired movers before. So you saw that experience and you were like, this is amazing. I love this. Like yes. I'm hiring movers next time we move, which you did. So I wish you could have been here on Friday just to see how ridiculous it was. So ridiculous. I think I would have um, just been frustrated. No, I was. I, I totally was because in the past, like, I typically don't converse with the movers a ton. Although it's like, of course you can, like, I'm not against small talk, like whatever. But they were just like one-upping each other, trying to tell me stories, like wasting time when doing that. It was kind of like finding every excuse to like try to take little breaks without being like, we need a little break. Um, And then 
And I, they went over, you guys. They yeah. they went over the allotted time. And Sophie has like gained one more piece of furniture since she moved last time. And they finished yeah. an hour ahead of time last time. Yeah. So I had to pay for the extra hour. Um, yeah, it was just and then weren't and then... they complaining when you were like that goes upstairs? They're like, oh, upstairs again. And like Yeah, like one guy it. was like, Oh, my back is gonna hate this. I'm like, okay. <sighs> and like they would be like, oh, that's not gonna fit, like without even trying to like do something. And like it was one piece my couch didn't fit in the basement which whatever but like they didn't even try initially they were just like oh like I've been doing this for 15 years like these angles blah 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 and I was like (laughs) okay like you have to just try because like I'm gonna be really mad if we don't try and it would have fit and it didn't end up fitting like I appreciate them trying I told them I appreciate them trying but it was just like you guys come on well and then when it didn't fit they're like is this far enough for you to see like, yeah that's actually kind of rude yeah they're like do you believe us now I'm like wow <laughs> really strange so anyways uh, bad yeah. moving experience but great house I went over to see it the next day and help move around some big furniture and it is so stinking cute and obsessed it's so perfect for you yeah thank you Jenna and shout out to Sarah for also coming Saturday we had to um take a cup take apart a couple things and put them back together in the right spot it was it was a journey but um yeah I'm I am obsessed I still have a lot of unpacking to do but I'm just happy to be so um I was telling this to Sarah it's like so grand like it just feels like the ceilings are so tall it's got this beautiful dark woodwork all throughout like an arched pillar or arch an archway with pillars from her living room to her dining room the windows are like this gorgeous woodwork again and it just feels like so cozy but so grand at the same time which is like the charm of these older houses and exactly why Sophie was looking for them but like really it does feel that way it's like the epitome of um they don't make houses like this anymore or it's like really I think expensive to make to build houses like this so if you can find these old houses who have been like maintained decently well it feels like such a steal and if you're okay with some quirkiness and charm and (laughs) yes you know like weird angles or small kitchens it's perfect for that type some people like don't don't right. love that and that's totally Some fine like but I more modern but you yeah like the classic yeah the old character so I feel like this house is just like the biggest score of all time for me personally but um yeah I love that you guys think it's so cute because I think it's so cute can't wait to host a little housewarming party in the future I cannot wait as well we'll have another little housewarming soiree um, yes there's uh, carpet in the ups on the stairs and going upstairs and I pulled the side away yeah. or like I pulled up one of the corners and there's beautiful hardwood floors underneath so you might have a yeah. little project in the future I know it just blows my mind I am curious like I wonder if there's like a lot of damage or something but some people also just like carpet right. on their stairs slash landing but 
Um, yeah, there's a lot of ideas I have. Can't do them all right away, but the potential is is there for sure. Yes, 100%. Um, yeah, so that's that's my house update. Super excited. So and we also have a Taylor Swift update. Yeah. if you've been living under a rock let me give you a little preview of what's been happening or a little you've been living under a rock come on out take a (laughs) breath of fresh air open your ears come on out let me tell you a story um (laughs) so taylor swift had a pre-sale for her tickets you had to sign up for the pre-sale not everybody that signed up for the pre-sale got picked to have a pre-sale code which was okay because you could also do the Capital One presale. And if you had a Capital One credit card, you could also get access to the presale the next day. And on top of that, they were going to have a general sale for anybody that didn't get picked for the presale or maybe was late to the party. Okay, so day one of the presale, we have a group of 10 people that want to go in Minneapolis. That's a lot of people. <laughs> That's yeah. a lot of tickets. Typically, people get concert tickets to Taylor Swift in like two, threes, or fours because they're kind of hard to get. Mm -hmm. So we're just like, okay, we'll just get two groups of six. We'll just have to split up. Like, it'll be okay. Plus, we'll have a couple extra tickets. We'll be able to sell them or we'll find people. Like, it won't be hard. Yep. And plus, each pre-sale code, you get only a max of six tickets. So we're like, okay, maybe just two people should log on and get the tickets. And then as... The pre-sale starts. I have two people's logins. I'm logged into my sister's account okay, and wait. my friend's account. Pause. There's 10 of us who want Taylor Swift tickets. We're all in a group message. Seven out of, wait, eight out of 10 of us got pre-sale codes. Yes. Correct? Mm-hmm. You did not. Aaron did Aaron not. Aaron did, well, but she didn't get the text because she was out of the country. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And then like Jenna said, we were like, okay, like we'll all just kind of like log on and whoever kind of gets there first, whatever. But we all have day jobs. Some of us have jobs where like Hannah's a teacher. She can't just be checking her, you know, right web browser tickets when she's teaching students math. Yeah. Yeah. So Jenna was manning two of the codes for two people in our group. Yep. And then everyone else was on their own. Yeah. Everyone else who had a no, code was, was on their own. I was locked into two people's, one on my phone, one on my laptop. So 10 a.m. is when the pre-sale is supposed to start. Everybody enters the queue and it's just sitting there. Just sitting, sitting, sitting. It goes, you have 2,000 plus people ahead of you. Um, I couldn't even get into the queue for like an hour. Okay, yeah. But most of us were in the queue and you couldn't get into the queue. Yeah, with 2,000 plus people ahead of you in line, it said. <laughs> yes. And then um, it goes, your queue has been paused. I'm like, okay, what does that mean? So, of course, I run to Twitter and I find out that everybody all over the country that's trying to get tickets, queues have been paused. Um, Apparently, it comes out later, Ticketmaster, which was weird during the time, and we kept texting each other during it. We're all saying, we never entered our pre-sale code yet. Like, when do we enter our pre-sale code? Nobody entered it yet. So they were expecting like what one to two million, one to two million people to go to the website and Ticketmaster claims 14 million people showed up that first day, which 
I don't really know what's right, what's accurate or what's not, but either way, they could have avoided a lot of this by having people enter the pre-sale code right away. <laughs> yeah, because I'm sure people who didn't get a pre-sale code and I maybe would have done something similar if like none of us got pre-sale codes logged on anyway, just to see if they could get oh, it. Oh, 100%. I did during the Capital One card pre-sale. Yeah. I was yeah. trying to get Nashville tickets too. Okay. Yeah. So anyways, um, we are literally waiting for hours, hours, hours. Like my whole Six work day is going by and it's, we're still waiting, still waiting, still waiting. Um, in the meantime, Ticketmaster is releasing statements saying like, oh, we're having like some technical issues with the amount of people coming. We're, we're pausing your queue. It'll start at this time. No, it'll start at this time. Whatever. Okay. So four o'clock, our queue starts moving and we've been in line since 10 a.m. 4 p.m. Mm-hmm. Our, our queue starts moving. I have my meeting. I have my one meeting of the day. I cleared my schedule for this. <laughs> my one meeting of the day happens to be at four because I'm like, okay, yeah, four will be fine. I'm seeing my phone absolutely blowing up. Somebody's like, somebody call Zach, get her attention. Like, oh my gosh, trying to get off this meeting. Um, I get off and then everybody's in shambles. Sophie's trying to add tickets to her cart. Lauren's trying to get tickets. Nobody can get tickets because they're all being purchased too fast. Yeah. Like at this point we are in, we are in it and we are trying to select tickets And every time we select and then click checkout, it's like, oh, someone else snagged these. So it's like, now it's just mass chaos for four of us in the actual system. So Sarah, who also has a job where you can't really um, be online all day looking at a queue, just decided to glance down at her phone and see that the queue was open. And she went and bought tickets first try for three people. Yeah, she probably was like, that wasn't that bad of an experience. (laughs) She's like, what are you talking about? So Sarah, we have three tickets secured. So I'm like, oh my gosh. Okay. So now I'm on my phone and laptop. I somehow secure three tickets on my phone, four tickets on my laptop and boom, that's 10. That's enough for the group chat. We're done. And yeah, not sure how blessed because somebody calculated this because after we get the tickets, we're like, okay, what the heck just happened? But also, did we even get good, good, did we even get good seats? Should we go back and try and get better seats? And because Jenna and I both like, we were trying, there's like multiple times where we added seats to our cart and didn't get them. So then at that point we were kind of just like, well, I don't want to say any seats we can get because we were not trying to be nosebleeds. We were trying to be kind of like middle section. Yeah. But yeah, we kind of like blacked out and we're like, okay, we got them now. Wait, where are these tickets? <laughs> right. And we're like, okay, well, what's going on? Should we, should we try again? Like what's happening? And then I'm just like, no, I'm just going to leave it. Come to find out that night. And then the next day, almost nobody got tickets. We were yeah. so lucky. Apparently, if somebody calculated it, you had a 5% chance of getting tickets with how many people oh signed up God. and were trying to get it. So you got them twice. That's kind of crazy. Three times. Oh, me, I got them twice. You personally, yeah. Yeah, I had a stroke of luck. I never win anything. So I feel hashtag blessed to have those yeah. given. Yeah, the to only me. reason we were like considering maybe waiting and looking at more tickets or like not purchasing the ones we had was because you and Sarah were able to like get in and out so quick, like on your first and second tries where I, it took, I think it, I did it five times and couldn't get my tickets purchased. 
Um, so I was like being kind of greedy because I was like, oh, well, maybe we can find something better at that price point. And then we're like, no, it was just like, whatever, let's just leave it. And I'm so glad we did because we probably would have lost out on four tickets. And it was like, oh, uh, when you added them to your cart, it wasn't like automatic. Like, no, these are already been taken. It like spun for a minute. Like it took a while. Yeah. And if you were in the queue for too long, it booted you back to the back of the line that had 2000 plus people because it wanted to give other people a shot. So you really had to be like in and out. (laughs) Yeah. Terrible. Anyways, we secured the tickets. I feel so unbelievably grateful and blessed and lucky. Um, We did pay a nice chunk of change for them, but it will be worth it. And we will see what ends up happening because Ticketmaster canceled the general sale. So we don't know what's going to be happening with those tickets. And Taylor Swift is rightfully pissed off at Ticketmaster for effing this up. Yeah. So I have had some mixed emotions about this whole experience, as I think a lot of people have, because... It was like, I'm not trying to be dramatic, but it it was like mentally draining and so chaotic and so stressful. And I know this is a luxury to be buying concert tickets. So it's like, I didn't have to put myself through that stress, stress, but in the moment or right after we secure tickets, I was actually like, oh my gosh, I don't want to ever do this again. Like in two years, if she tours again, like this is going to be even worse. Like it's going to be so terrible Like, I just kind of felt so defeated, like, wow, this is going to be like, I don't know how many more years I can snag Taylor Swift tickets. I kind of saw it as like, I feel like this might be her like last tour. I don't know for sure. And she's a performer at heart. She's a mirror ball. But I, the way this tour is labeled the eras tour, like she's going through all 10 eras that she's ever done. Yeah. It, like feels... I don't think she'll tour regularly again. No. Like we're touring every two years, like right. pre-COVID. Because this is like a pinnacle of like all of her work. So I'm like, and, I will yeah. get tickets to this, whether it costs me $100 or $2,000. That was my mindset. Yeah. And like she even was already kind of stepping away from the typical touring that she'd done with the Lover's Fe- Lover Fest that got canceled. Um because of COVID anyway, but like that wasn't going to be a stadium tour. That was just going to be literally four shows in two different spots in the country. So, um, yeah, I'm very happy, but anyway, so then I was like, kind of just upset. I was a little upset with Taylor. I'm not going to lie. Like, I just felt like, why did she do it this way? Um, the dynamic pricing thing kind of made me upset, but there's just so many factors. Like one, Ticketmaster is a monopoly. Like it's really the only option she had to sell tickets unless she wanted to build her own platform, which is like, yeah, I can understand why you're not doing that. Right. Um, and then um after she released her statement, I just like felt a lot less um like anger towards her or like tension towards her because um I she made it very clear that like this was discussed with Ticketmaster that they could handle it and they clearly failed. Like I think just her acknowledging like, yes, I saw this went so, so bad and it was like so hard for me to watch from the sidelines as it literally failed. Um, and I don't know if there's any way to really correct it in terms of like, you know, going back in time. Like we can't take people's tickets away and do it all over again. No. So God, no. I trust no. I trust I know. I trust that like she'll do the best she can 
in the situation, knowing that options are like very limited on how to fix it. Um, so regarding the dynamic pricing, I do think she didn't have that turned on because if we, with the amount of demand that we were seeing for those tickets, the pricing for our seats would have been like $3,000 or more if it was dynamic pricing. Oh, really? Yeah. Because she said like there was a range like right without VIP, it would be 50 to $500. Yeah. So ours was within that range. Yeah. But what were floor seats? Floor seats were um, more than 500. 500 to 1,000, which was the VIP. What got us was the Ticketmaster fees, which were $100. So we paid $285 for a ticket. And then we actually paid $385 because of the Ticketmaster fees. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. Dynamic pricing very much could not, was maybe not on. I right totally because, like now resellers are selling tickets for there was one thousand for ninety five thousand dollars so like and i believe it was bruce springsteen he had dynamic pricings on when he did his tour and there was tickets going for like five thousand ten thousand dollars when his general sale was going on that weren't resold tickets so that would be like what you'd see with dynamic pricing for taylor swift with a, a demand like that anyways yeah, i digress so- um (laughs) yeah that's a good point they might not have been on so then my that frustration would be void but yeah I think I was mostly just like mad about the whole situation oh it was so draining so terrible I literally like after I bought the tickets well they were pretty expensive and then I texted the group I'm like are you guys happy like (laughs) I'm feeling like a little bit nervous because I just like went or hadn't sent it like we never really agreed upon a price with our big group. I'm and like, there was no time to like consult about where tickets were right or purchasing them. So I was like, are you guys happy? And then like one person, was, I think it was you, Sophie. You're like, I, I am, but that was just terrible. <laughs> yeah. I, I was like, my, my brain is like mush. I, I just like can't even celebrate right now because I'm so exhausted from yeah, and Taylor's <laughs> Taylor's announce or Taylor's statement on what happened. She even said, didn't she say like most of my fans didn't even get the tickets, and for my fans that did, it felt like they had to go through like a bear attack to get them, something like that. Yes, um, yeah, that made me feel a little bit better. But mostly, I'm just happy I have the tickets. Curious to see what will happen with the tickets that weren't sold yet. Um, I did yeah. have a friend that really, really, really wanted to go so bad like she's as hardcore with swifty as us but she's a pt so her husband logged on for her the day of the pre-sale for nine hours couldn't get the tickets the next day she had a capital one credit card he logged on again for five hours couldn't get the tickets. people i know who were relying on like one code to get tickets for like a group of people like not even like six people like three or four people like didn't get it like i think the fact that we had like all 10 of us trying our best efforts with the eight codes we had was like what saved us probably for sure yeah so we'll keep you guys updated I mean we're gonna do like Taylor Swift outfits and stuff so it'll be fun but that won't be until June so it might be some time (laughs) (laughs) we've got lots of time to plan (laughs) yes for sure Um, so the other thing I wanted to talk about is Colleen Hoover yeah or as some people say coho (laughs) <laughs> she's a very popular what do you want to say? 
She's a very popular um, author right there. She writes fiction books. One of Sophie's favorite books called Verity, I also read by Coho. And I I really liked Verity as well. Like, I got the appeal. I was into it. I really liked it. I recently picked up It Ends With Us, which is all over TikTok, all over BookTok. And people rave about it. I read the first chapter and I was like, what in the actual F is this? Like, this is so bad. (laughs) Yeah. So I, because I lent you that book. No? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So I just read it. Like I just finished it a couple weeks ago. Um, And yeah, like you, I've seen it all over TikTok and everyone's like, this is the best Colleen Hoover book. And I was like so excited because I was like, okay, Verity was really good. It had twists and turns. Like I didn't see the ending coming. Like I really had to like talk through that book when I was done with it. So I was really excited to read It Ends With Us. And um, yeah, like Jenna said, like there was parts where I was definitely like more into it and excited to go back and it like kept my interest. But in terms of like the skill level of writing and like the plot I was like this is like so cheesy and unrealistic and I don't yeah I was like not very impressed it was good in a way that like it was a page turner at times and I was able to like read through it fast and was like okay that was kind of like a guilty pleasure book binge book but I'm like shocked that people are like so into that book. I'm one chapter in, so maybe I need to get yeah. more time. Shall we get to the stories? Yeah. Okay. Yes. I'm not excited to tell mine because it's horrible and like really horrible. Okay. Um. So I was given this idea when we went through episode last week and Jordan did the Unabomber. Um, yeah. And it actually has some similarities to the Unabomber. So I brought it up last week and it's about the 2011 Norway massacre. Oh, yeah. And we were like, you definitely did a story on this. Yeah. And I, it's been on my radar. It's just so heavy and I'll get into it a little I- bit more. Ignore, I mean, excuse my ignorance, but I am not sure I know this story like at all. Like, no, I it's okay. A lot of people don't. A lot of people don't. And it's not one of those stories. I'm sure everybody in Norway knows it. Yeah. Um, it's not one that's super popular in America. It's absolutely horrendous. And I actually went to the island where this happened um, at, when I was in Norway. So I studied abroad in Norway one summer in college. And my class took a trip out to this island. It's right outside of Oslo. And this actually happened in two spots, this massacre. There was um, something that happened in like the central district and in uh, on the island. And I went, to, my class went to both places. Um, and it was like the most sombering experience of my life. I like my heart aches even thinking about it. Um, I'll share some pictures that we can post of when I was there. There's like a memorial and, and whatnot, but like I just like can't even put myself back in that place because it was so crazy to even be there. Um, but oh. I'll get into it now. 
Um, So my sources are Britannica.com and Wikipedia.org. And you say that you don't know the story. Like, you know how if you Google like a well-known story, like the Unabomber or Ted, um, I almost said Ted Cruz. (laughs) Oh, Ted Kaczynski. Yeah. <laughs> Ted Cruz, close enough. Ted Bundy was what I was trying to say. Oh, okay. But like literally Oh John John Kaczynski was the Unabomber. No, Ted Kaczynski was the Unabomber. Yeah. No, Ted Kaczynski, not Krasinski. Oh yeah. yeah John yeah. Kaczynski. Yes. <laughs> okay. Okay. Oh, okay. 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 So uh, like Ted Bundy was what I was trying to say. If you Google them, like a million different articles come up. So for this Norway massacre, there are articles that come up, but like they're mostly Norwegian and then this um, Wikipedia one and the Britannica one, but there's not a ton of articles on it. And there was a movie um, created on it, like an actual movie, not a documentary that was made a few years back. So that's how most people, if they know about it, they know about it because of the movie, which I just like can't bring myself to watch i think it's a movie i don't know let me actually look um googling googling norway massacre the killer's mind it was made in 2018 it's a three-part part story of norway's worst terrorist attack um okay i remember one of our friends watched it and she messaged us about it and i was like yeah i i can't watch that um i will spiral so it's out there for those that can consume visual media like that. Um, yeah. Okay. So this is, this massacre happened on July 22nd, 2011. 77 people were killed and it was the deadliest incident on Norwegian soil since World War II. So I'm going to take you on a play-by-play of the day and then I'll go deeper into what happened. So. Okay. There was a bomb attack in the central district of Oslo, which is the capital of Norway. At 3.26 p.m., an explosion rocked downtown Oslo, shattering windows and damaging buildings. The blast was a short distance from a building complex that housed numerous government buildings, including the Norwegian prime minister, who was unharmed in the explosion. Eight people were killed and dozens were injured during this explosion. Had a bomb occurred at another time of year, the casualty would have been much higher. Norwegians typically take vacations at the end of July. It's known as an unofficial common holiday, so many of the public offices were closed and empty during the time of the blast. Police officials determined the car explosion had been caused by a bomb. The Norwegian military established um, themselves downtown around Oslo, fearing that a detonation of an additional device would happen and officials warned residents to remain in their homes. At the time of the rescue and recovery effort that continued in downtown Oslo, police received reports of gunshots on the resort island of Utoya, 25 miles or 40 kilometers to the northwest of Oslo. So this is happening on the same day. Okay. So now I'm gonna take you to Utoya Island. Utoya Island, at about 5 p.m., roughly an hour and a half after the bomb detonated in Oslo, a man dressed as a police officer took a ferry to the mainland of the island of Utoya. There were 600 people at the camp. And this camp is for kids. It's for, like, um, 
I think it's kids of all ages, but um, there's like up to high school ages there. And it's people that are interested in the government. So it's like a government camp. Oh, Um, okay. Or like a political camp. Yeah. People go and like, there's like debates and like, it's like a summer camp, but like if you're really into politics. Yeah, for sure. That makes sense. And it's more of like a left-leaning summer camp. Good for them. So there were 600 people there and it's a small island. It's like a very small island. Um, Like I walked around the whole island in like an hour. Okay. To give you like a reference. Yeah. Um, There are buildings on the island. So there's like, you know, a dining hall, like little cabins to sleep in, all that kind of stuff. But it's not like a big area. Yeah. So the man that arrived came dressed as a police officer and you have to take a ferry to get there. So it's normally like you don't let strangers onto the island, but he was dressed as a police officer. He was greeted by Monica Boise, the camp leader and island hostess. She was suspicious of him immediately and contacted Tron Burston, who was the head security officer of the island. The attacker killed them both. Oh, He asked people to gather around to make an announcement. Um, At this time, people on the island and the kids on the island had heard about the bomb attack in Oslo. So they thought he was here there to help him or he was there to help them. He asked people to gather around and he shot everybody that gathered (gasps) around. No. Yeah. What? Like kids? Yeah. Oh. He okay. then started shooting at people just anywhere in sight and kids started fleeing and trying to escape and were swimming across the lake, <gasps> try to get to land. And he was shooting kids in the water swimming. No, mm-hmm. no. Survivor Dana Barzingi, then 21, described how several victims that were wounded by the attacker pretended to be dead. And then he came back and shot them again. Oh. During his attack, he repeatedly yelled, you are going to die today, Marxist. And, like, Marxist, for those that don't know, is, like, a term that people use. It's, like, a person that was, like, really, uh, like, the head of socialism. Yeah. um, Or really, like, pushed for socialism. So, you're going to die die today, Marxist. He was, like, talking about leftists or Marxists or socialists. Um, Yeah. He actually spared an 11-year-old boy that just lost his father, Tronberg said. So the head of security officer, the little boy uh, stood up against the shooter. And when he was going to die, he said he was too young to die. And the shooter let him go. He also let a 2020 or a 2020, oh my gosh. He also let a 22-year-old man and go because he begged for his life. However, many of the campers we're not so lucky. Most of the campers were teenagers. One survived. One of the survivors who was just 10 years old uh, said the gunman used his police disguise to lure victims closer with the promise of rescue. Mm. So this is when at 5.26 p.m. police began to receive reports of gunfire on the island. The mass shooting lasted for an hour and a half and ended when a police special task force arrived and the uh, attacker surrendered. So there's so many survivor accounts and you can, I can 
be talking about this all day. Um, yeah. But people hid in buildings, you know, <laughs> on the ledge of cliffs on, or like there's like a bank where, where kids yeah. would hide on the island. But a lot of kids weren't lucky um, because by the time police arrived to the island at 6.25 p.m., 68 people had been killed. Oh, my gosh. There was a shortage of helicopters, so the law enforcement response was really delayed. Uh, police then apprehended the suspect, who was Anders Brebeck, without any incident. So he just, like, went he succumbed to them without like fighting the combined death toll of the bombing and the shooting approached 77 people making the attacks the deadliest in the country since world war ii an independent inquest into the attacks completed in august of 2012 harshly criticized the actions of norwegian law enforcement and intelligent agencies um their response was subpar so i'm going to highlight some of that now okay the July 2020 or July 22 commission, which took its name from the date of the attacks, ruled that police could have prevented the incident and disrupted it as it was occurring. The findings of the report led to the resignation of numerous officials, including Norway's national police chief. So after the bombs went off, a witness called police at 3.33 p.m. to report a person in police uniform holding a pistol in his hand entering an unmarked vehicle, a Fiat. They okay. even had the vehicle's license plate number and a description of the suspect. It was written on a yellow note, hand-delivered to the police operations central where it lay for 20 minutes before the witness was phoned back. Oh, the license plate number was not transmitted on the police radio until two hours later. Ugh. So it's like this was 334. The yeah. gun didn't Brevik didn't show up to the island until 5 p.m. Yeah. So the final shot was fired at 5:22 p.m. The emergency medical services were informed about the shooting two minutes later. Oh, sorry. The first shot was fired at 5:22 p.m. Emergency okay. medical services were informed about the sh- shooting two minutes later. One minute after that, the police in Oslo were informed, and they immediately tried to reach Utoya as quick as possible. But like I said, they didn't have helicopters that could take them straight to the island. So it wasn't until 5.30 that the police tactical unit in Oslo were on the way to Utoya by automobile. So they had to drive. Wait, you can get to the island by driving? They were driving to the spot where you could get to the island by ferry. Got they it. Have a helicopter. So okay. they had to drive to like the boat yeah. landing. Yeah. Okay. One of the first people, not police officers, to arrive to the scene was Marcel Gluff, a German resident of Ski staying at the Utiva camping on the mainland. He heard gunshots and brought his boat to the island and began throwing life jackets to young people in the water trying to rescue as many as he could in four or five trips. Then Mm -hmm. police asked him to stop. He's credited with saving up to 30 lives. Why did, why was he asked to stop? Yeah, I don't know. He's endangering his own life, I guess. It's like, you aren't doing anything. (laughs) Yeah. 
Another 40 people were saved by Heggie Dolan and Toril Hansen, a married couple on vacation in the area. <sighs> Dolan was helping from land while Hansen and a neighbor camper made several trips to rescue people in the water. Several dozen more were rescued by Casper Log, who made three trips to the island. Log was a lo local resident and received a telephone call that something terrible was happening on Utoya and was requesting help. He thought the call was a prank at first, but acted anyways. Altogether, about 150 who swam away from the island were pulled out of the lake by campers on the opposite shore. Okay. Brevik, the attacker, called 112, the emergency phone number in Norway, at least two times to surrender, at 6.01 and at 6.26 but continued killing people in between. Police say Brevik hung up both times. They tried calling him back, but did not succeed. So it's like he was literally like waiting for the police to show up and they were just taking forever. Like he literally was waiting so long that he called them to be like, where are you? <laughs> what the heck? That's so classic. Yep. yep. So during the attack, 69 people were killed um, at the island. There were 517 survivors and 66 wounded. So because they didn't have helicopters, the Norwegian police had to use, um, or the reason they didn't have helicopters was because they had only one useful helicopter that was only used for surveillance and the helicopter crew was on leave during that time and they didn't have any backup. Okay. So police finally arrived at Utoya uh, or Utoikia, which is across from Utoya, the um, with a lake in between. 30 minutes after the sh first shot was fired, they arrived, but they could not find a suitable boat to reach the island. Oh my God. So then they were ordered to observe and report. Finally, oh. yep. Finally, okay. at 6.30. So they, they got there 30 minutes after the sh first shot was fired. At 6.30, yeah. which was the first shot was fired at 5.22. At 6.30, finally, a civilian boat helped them to the island, which is extremely criticized because then they were putting that civilian in danger. The civilian drove them to the island. Like, sometimes, <laughs> like, sometimes it's like, I know that there has to be, like, I criticize, like, I've criticized, like, police forces before about, like, you know, there needs to be controls in place. There needs to be... um you know, things that they follow. But then sometimes it's like, it's instances like this where then it just like, this is an emergency. And like, like telling civilians to stop helping, which I totally get. It's like, they don't want to put other people in any more danger. But sometimes it's mind boggling. It's like, sometimes the rules are just like not going to apply here because- Right, and he, they told him to stop yet they didn't do anything. Yet they yeah. just observed. Yeah, it's like one thing if it's like, hey, stop, but let us use your boat. Can we use your boat? Right. Yep, exactly. So when they got to the island of Utoya, police ar arrested Brevik, but in addition to that, they also arrested Anzar Dujevic, who was an innocent 17-year-old survivor. The youth reportedly was stripped naked. This, this 
other 17-year-old that they arrested, locked up in a jail cell and was located only meters away uh, from Brevik, the actual attacker. Great. Awesome. The victim, <laughs> the victim, who was a child that had just witnessed the mass murders, um, was suspected to be an accomplice because his haircut was different than the one shown in his identity document. And he did not react to the carnage the same way that other survivors were reacting with tears and hysteria. <laughs> he was kept in custody for 17 hours. And um, many criticized the police for failing to contact the youth's family who feared he was killed and for interrogating the victim without a lawyer present. Yeah. So there was many, many, many mistakes made by the Norwegian police here um it's really hard to read and hard to learn about um when I went to the place where the bomb went off it's now a memorial where you Mm -hmm. can go and, and read about what happened and learn um they fully own up to the memorial fully owns up to how terrible the response was and how it could have been prevented and saved possibly those 69 lives that were on the island Mm -hmm. um so yeah that was that was super interesting to to read and learn about but um did you go to the island too yeah so I also went to the island um we took the ferry out there and we went to the uh we went to the memorial at the site of the bombing before we went to the island so we knew the devastation that occurred and what happened and how Brevik got there so like arriving to the island on the same ferry that he arrived on was very Mm -hmm. weird yeah um and then we read stories of personal accounts and then when you're on the island you see where those stories took place and like where kids hid and where kids didn't survive so it was really hard (laughs) um there's a memorial on the island now and it's Mm -hmm. a beautiful island it's beautiful like just so green pretty flower wildflowers but you know it's just eerie being there yeah I'm assuming they don't use it anymore no really for no it's yeah. just a memorial for what happened yeah. yeah yeah it's very vacant like there's one small memorial and then the rest you just walk around and yeah I'm sure it's very eerie yeah and some of my group members with me like I responded in a way where I just like kind of froze up and like didn't talk and just like took it all in. And Mm -hmm. some of them, like it was very emotional for them. Mm -hmm. So it was just like a very emotional day. Um, So I'll tell you now that now that we know what the police response, I'll tell you who the attacker is. So Brevik was a 32 year old Norwegian that was accused of executing the two attacks and he had no permit no previous criminal record he was very active on neo-nazi and anti-islamic websites and even though he was active there he had not demonstrated any um thing in the real world for these you know this violent rhetoric that he had online yeah after his arrest, a 1,500-page 1500 page manifesto was found online. So this is what made me think of 
Yeah, because the Jordan Unabomber. was talking about the Unabomber and he had a manifesto. This is what made me think of Brevik. And it turns out that Brevik actually um, took this manifesto and was, or took Ted Kaczynski's manifesto, yeah. the Unabomber, and was inspired by it. No. Yeah. Which I didn't remember until I read that now. Yeah. So oh it was goodness. called A European Declaration of Independence. The track borrowed heavily from the anti-technical manifesto issued by Ted Kaczynski. Oh my gosh. Yep. It was filled with anti-Islamic language, imagery that evoked the Crusades and the Templar religious military order. It also detailed the day-to-day preparations that Brevik made prior to the attacks. He spent several years amassing the funds to finance what he called his martyrdom operation. And he leased a secluded farmhouse in eastern Norway, which made his purchase of several tons of fertilizer in the weeks prior to the blast look less suspicious. So Mm -hmm. ammonia nitrate fertilizer can be combined with fuel oil to create a powerful implosive device. Yeah. He initially tried buying his weapons illegally in a different country nearby i think it was czech but i can't remember uh czech republic um uh so that failed him so then he ended up actually legally buying his weapons in norway he decided to obtain semi-automatic a semi-automatic rifle and a glock pistol in norway and he noted that he had a clean criminal record hunting license and two guns previously already for seven years so it made obtaining the guns legally um easy because he had a good record with guns already got it so he stated also in the manifesto that the labor party had failed to prevent encroachment of cultural marxism and a muslim takeover and he sought to initiate an armed revolt classic i know his like i just yeah his attack on the later Labor Party youth camp, so that was Utoya, was the Labor Party youth camp, was designed to limit the party's ability to recruit in the future and intended to target target former Labor Prime Minister Gro Harlem Brundtland, who delivered a speech at Utoya just hours before the massacre. Got it. Brevik admitted to both the bombing in Oslo and the shootings in Utoya. He pleaded to not guilty. Uh, to the criminal charges that were filed against him because he doesn't believe in the Norway court system. Okay. <laughs> so in November of 2011, court-appointed psychiatrists concluded that Brevik suffered from paranoid schizophrenia. However, a second court-ordered examination determined that he was sane at the time of the attacks and the trial was allowed to proceed. The ultimate decision was left to the judge on his sanity, and the judge concluded that he was sane. In August 2012, the court ruled that Brebeck um, re- was to receive the maximum sentence in prison, which is 21 years. Ah! So, is that still the maximum sentence in prison in Norway? Mm-hmm. So Norwegian pr- prison is very very different than the u.s um it's much nicer like if you look up like a norwegian prison cell compared to a u.s prison cell like even in solitary confinement there's no um like bars on the door like everybody has their own space and there's no bars and everybody has a toilet a bed and a flat screen tv 
So people in prison, uh, less people go to prison per capita in Norway. Um, But prison is very different there. People are treated more more humanely. But the prison sentence is also less. So the maximum prison sentence is 21 years in prison. However, after 21 years, every five years, you can add another five years if you think that the person still constitutes a danger to society. Oh, okay. So, so you can reevaluate. It, it's reevaluated at the end of the 21 years. If they're still a danger to society, an additional five-year term could be added. So realistically, he could be in prison for life if they determine that he's always going to be. Um, so at, you know, at the end of 21 years, at the end of 21 years, they're like, no, he is still danger. We're sentencing to to him for five more years then at the end of that five years they can also reevaluate again and it can just yes. keep happening okay yeah, it could just keep happening that's actually not the worst idea i've ever heard um but some crimes seem like you can just go straight to a life sentence <laughs> well something Personally. as horrific as this it's like i don't know yeah. what the answer is um but geez he i mean he knew what he was doing he yeah. plotted this for years. He has a manifesto written. Maybe he does have some mental health disorders, but there is plenty of people that have mental health disorders that do not do this. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't like it when when people are like, talk about like mass shooters or a terrorist attack or whatever. And it's like, well, we really got to fix the mental health. Of course we need to fix mental health, but also this person is just a bad person. Yeah. Like, yeah, and how do you want how do you want to fix mental health? Because I guarantee you're not voting to put those systems in place, but that's a whole other tangent. Yes. So he is in prison currently. Since his attack, there's been a memorial put in place at the island. It's closed down. There's no longer camp there. And there is also a memorial in place of the bombing. There's also been an extreme spike in political interest on both. Well, there's like seven political parties in Norway. Like it's not just like two, like in the States. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Um, But there are like extremes, like there's, there's right-wing extremists and like uh, conservative groups. And then also like left-leaning and then there's some more middle ones, but anyways, political interest has spiked in all areas. So not just the left, not just the right, not just the middle. It spiked in all. So, you know, his goal of getting rid of the future politics of the left did not work. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Gun laws are already stricter in Norway than in the U.S., but since the attack, there has been legislation pushed forward. There There was legislation presented last year um, to get rid of these semi-automatic weapons. Mm-hmm. Um, but you would still be able to have them for hunting, which doesn't really make sense because Brevik could have still gotten it for hunting. So I don't really know. It, there wasn't too much information like what gun laws were changed, but just that like it's increased legislation being proposed. Got it. In addition, there has been multiple copycats of Brevik that have in, been inspired by his actions, which is also terrible. In um, Norway or just like in, in other countries in Europe. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is terrible. So 
That is the story of Utah Island and the 2011 Norway massacre. Wow. Yeah. Um, I did not know that story to that extent. I'm really glad you covered it. Um, very emotional, I'm sure, to see that place in person. Um, but thank you for sharing your personal experience seeing it. Yeah, it was crazy. Okay. Well, um, thanks for enlightening me. And yeah, are you, are you um, ready to pivot? Yes. Okay, so my story is about a man who proposes to his wife after waking up from a coma. And my only source this week is people.com. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Love. Love a good palate cleanser. <laughs> yeah. So Andrew and Christy McKenzie were heading home from a family celebration on Father's Day in June of this year when a car collided with Andrew's motorcycle. They were both rushed to the hospital and nearly missed death. When the 58-year-old Virginia man woke up from the traumatic event in his hospital bed, he thought it was the year 1993. Christy and doctors were worried and unsure if his memories from their last 29 years together were gone forever. Little did Christy know that not only would her husband recover, but they would fall in love all over again. What year was this? So, this year. So it was 1992. That's his first. That's what year he thought it was. He woke up and he thought it was 1993. Oh, my gosh. That's crazy. Yeah. Okay, so let's rewind to the early days of Andrew and Christie's relationship. Their connection began in June of 1984 when Christie and Andrew were still teenagers, and Christie saw Andrew during a camping trip in Harrisonburg, Virginia. Christie recalls knowing he was the one after the first time they met. At first, a relationship seemed impossible as Christie was dating someone else, and Andrew was in the Army and stationed at Fort Bragg. By August, Christy had ended things with her current boyfriend and Andrew was making trips home to see her. Andrew states, she didn't just melt my knees. It was my whole body. I was done. Oh, after, you know, after they began their relationship, Andrew got orders to move to Germany. And although they hadn't been dating for that long, he proposed. Okay, so just shy of a year after meeting, they married on March 31st, 1985, when she was only a junior in high school. She took her exams early before joining. <laughs> That's crazy. I know. When you know, you know, I guess. Junior yeah. High school. Sure, sure. <laughs> she took her exams early before joining him in Europe and attended her senior year on a military base. They eventually would have two daughters together and make their way back to the U.S. The devastating accident took place on June 19th of this year. The family had spent the day four-wheeling together. Once they had wrapped up the day's activities, Christy and Andrew hopped on his motorcycle to head home. Apparently, a driver had run a stop sign and hit Andrew and Christy, who were thrown about 60 feet. Oh, wow. I know. I feel like you hear about these. I mean, there's so many different types of terrible accidents, but like running the stop signs, it's just oh, like, oh. I know. Um, Andrew had a concussion and broke two T vertebrae in his back, his left pelvis bone, his left scapula, five ribs, and his nose. He was airlifted to U of A University Hospital in Charlottesville, where he underwent emergency surgery. Christy had a mild concussion, broke her back, hip seven ribs and left scalpula 
Lucky for her, her injuries didn't require emergency surgery, which is kind of nuts. They're lucky to be alive. Yeah. So when Andrew woke up in the hospital, the nurse asked him to say his name and current month and year. That's when he said it was 1993. Christy begged for them to allow to be allowed to. Wow. Christy begged for them to be allowed in the same room during their recovery in the hospital, but the hospital staff denied their request initially. They did everything they could to keep them connected except for share the same room. Finally, they were granted the ability to stay in the same room together, and that is when Andrew's memory miraculously came back. The ordeal had Christy feeling very sentimental, and one day in the hospital, she texted one of her best friends that, when this mess is over, I'm marrying this man again. After 11 days in the hospital and another 11 days in a rehab facility, they were given the green light to go home. Their annual family beach vacation in North Carolina's Outer Banks in August marked the first time both of them were able to walk again without wheelchairs or walkers, and Andrew decided to repropose. Two days later, on August 29th, the couple renewed their vows as their children and grandchildren looked on. Oh, and that's the story. That's so sweet. Yeah, that's, really that's incredible that they had a recovery like that as well. Um, yeah, like that they were able to make full recoveries is absolutely nuts. So yeah, like so that when they were in the hospital and so she was obviously conscious before him and was asking about him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if he was like in like a medically induced coma or just like waking up from surgeries and all that is, you know, when he said that it was 1993, um, he remembered her, like he knew who she was, but I think like at the time didn't have a lot of memories and they were very concerned and she would just like spend all day when she was like allowed to, and she would just like sit next to him in his bed and hold hands and try to connect with him and that's when she was like begging, begging them to be in the same room because she just felt like it would aid in his recovery faster. And so it was like almost right after they were able to share a room that he had his memory back, which is crazy. I just like feel like these two are so connected, which is so beautiful. That is incredible. And also incredible that they stayed together after getting married so young. (laughs) So young. (laughs) Yeah, I guess when you know, you know. (laughs) I suppose. (laughs) But for real, like three years difference is like so small. But obviously when you're young, those gaps are like bigger because they just feel like your development. You can cut that part out. But um. For sure. Yeah. Why why do you say three years difference? <laughs> <laughs> because you hear people <laughs> grown up and they're like a 10 year difference. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. That's, I definitely that's got exactly it. it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for sharing. Great palette cleanser. Everybody else, have a great rest of your week. Share this with a friend if you haven't already. If you have already. Have them share it with another friend too. We love you. Yes. Thanks for joining and stay happy. As happy as you can be. Bye. Bye. Bye.